Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Hills to Die On, Part 3, Humility, recorded Sunday, September 25th, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. How do you pray in situations where you know what God wants you to do, but you just don't want to go? Larry Osborne says that our resistance to, uh, to that is a spectrum, like there's levels of, you know, of, of, uh, of obstinance that we carry into it. So first of all, there are just things we don't want to do, just pure and simple, things where I battle with my will versus his will. They can be simple things. They can be even more complicated, but we all do it. Paul talks about it, describing things he knows he should do, but he doesn't want to do, things he knows he shouldn't do, but he does them anyway, the battle of the flesh, you know, and it can be how we steward our body, it can be how we utilize the resources that God puts in our hands, it can be that we need to serve in certain ways and we know it, but we just aren't willing. So I know I should, I just don't want to. And then the second level are things I think I can't do. I just don't have the confidence that I can accomplish it. And, and it's probably many of the same things that would come with that first level. It's just that we just lose our confidence. We just don't think we have what it takes. And we don't think we have the resources behind us. I mean, I know I should volunteer there, but I just don't have what it takes. I know I should start tithing, but where's it going to come from? I know I should stop drinking so much because it's hurting my family. It's hurting me. But I've failed before. I can't do it. Then there's a third level. This is the deepest level. It's the things that I just don't, I will not make it through. I just have, I believe I will not survive. That, that it's the worst stuff that this fall, fallen world throws at us. It's the, it's the deepest level of grief. It's the hardest situation. If she leaves me, it's over. It's not just over for the marriage, it's over for me. It's, it's if, if, if he dies, I'm done. It's, it's if the chemo doesn't work, I'm quitting. It's that level of depth. And the principles that come from this story in the scripture in Mark 14 with Jesus, the principles are all there, but the level is the deepest level. And so I want to make this clear, though, and I think we've already talked about this quite a bit, so you'll understand it. Jesus knew what was before him. He had been talking about it all the way leading up to the cross with his disciples. He'd said it several times. If you are here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how this woman anointed him with oil, which was a precursor to him, his death and anointing his body for burial. I mean, that was the symbol, symbolism of that. And then last week we talked about the Last Supper where he took the bread and broke it. He took the cup and poured it out. And, and it was all symbolic of what was about to take place. He'd been saying it. He understood it. He knew it here. Now we're going to see what happens when it really hits here. Mark chapter 14, 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, which means olive press. So it's an olive grove, trees, where there was an olive press where they would manufacture olives and make oil, and, and they would, of course, sell it from that point on. So this is a, it's a grove of trees where that occurred. It's a silent, quiet place at this time of night. He says to his disciples, 
sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John along with him a little further in, and he began to be, listen to this, deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. He says, to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch. That's the depth of where he is this, at this moment. Going a little further, verse 35. He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, I, I grew up in going to Christian churches where this picture showed up in every church. Like in every church I ever attended when I was a kid, up through, actually through probably when we moved over here, even I think that one of these pictures laid around here for a while. It's Jesus in Gethsemane, right? And, and so it's, it's a beautiful picture. It's, it's Jesus with his hands folded on a rock. Apparently there was a, a hairdresser somewhere nearby who got everything just right for his beautiful flowing locks. And then you can see that some bridesmaid must have been around because she moved his robe just so to... Th Is that what's described in this, what I just read in the scripture? Absolutely not. <laughs> I can't speak for you, but I find comfort knowing that he actually has been through the worst things in life and he's showing me how to get through it. He was troubled, distressed, overwhelmed to the point that he felt like it was over for him. As a matter of fact, I think he was so afraid, he didn't know he was going to make it to the cross. And what Jesus shows us in that moment of extreme distress is that when the world kicks you full in the face and mocks you, that there is terror, there is distress, and it's understandable to feel that way. And believe me, he understands it. One of the other writers about this said that he was splayed on the ground and he was literally sweating blood. That's the anguish he found himself in. So what do you do when you're in the place where you think it's over? Not just I don't want to, not just I don't think I can do it, but it's over. I'm done. Because I want you to know he understands it. Let's read on. Verse 36, Abba, Father, Dad, Dad. It's the first time he used those intimate terms to describe uh, uh, God in the scriptures. At least it might have happened before, but it's the first time we see it. He says, everything, Father, Dad, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you will. The cup, let's talk about that for just a second. The cup is that Jesus is fully aware that the wrath of God is going to be poured on him. The cup is what the Bible calls wrath in other places in the Old Testament. The wrath of God against evil and as punishment for sin. God is going to pour out his wrath on sin. He will pour it out on the unrepentant, those who do not come his way, or he has poured it out on Jesus on our behalf. But it will be poured out. We understand how disturbing it would be for Jesus to know he's going to be, in just a few short hours, beaten unmercifully, have the, his beard pulled out from his face, have a crown of thorn thrust on his head, have his back literally filleted by a horrible instrument called a, 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 a cat of nine tails. It, it's a horrible thing. And then to go to a cross and have spikes driven through his arms and his feet and thrust in the air to die. We get it. He got it. 
That is not what he's, is bringing him to this point of fear. It is the wrath of God, meaning that he will, for the first time in his existence forever, be separated from his father. God will be separated from him. That's what he was experiencing. I don't know what that's like. I mean, we all know what it's like to feel like we're far away from God, I think. We probably know that. The, the, the terror of that maybe doesn't feel the same way as it did for him at that moment. Anybody here claustrophobic? Anyone? Just me? Am I the only one? Like, I am. I, thank you for being so honest. I appreciate it. You can, you'll understand my pain when I describe this. And so I'm reading a Jack Reacher no, novel. And he describes, or the author describes, it's a fiction book, I think. He describes how Jack Reacher's in this cave, and he has to get to another section in the cave, and he can't go out the main part of the cave for obvious reasons because the bad guys are out there. So he has to go through this little tiny hole that's like a path in the, you know, tons of rock over him. He's got to skinny through this little hole to get to the other place. And, and as he gets deeper and deeper, Chills are going up and down my spine as I speak. As he gets deeper and deeper into that little tiny space, it gets narrower and narrower to the point where he is actually stuck. And he can't go back. And he can't go forth. I'm going to pass out if I talk about this any longer because it's so terrifying for me to think about. The separation anxiety that Jesus was experiencing, I think outweighed the fear of the cross. The wrath of God that was going to be poured out on Jesus, the separation from God, that's what he was, that's what he was concerned with. Now, let's read on, verse 37. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you don't fall in temptation. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's a good description of most of us. Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. So this is the third time he's prayed this very same prayer. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. They were quite embarrassed that they'd let him down. And so... Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is being delivered to the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I don't miss it. Something changed. From the time that he started praying where it drove him to the ground and he was sweating blood and he was in anguish and distress and thought it was going to kill him, just the experience in the garden was going to mean he was going to die right there to the point where he's ready to walk straight up that hill and take what comes. Something changed. What changed? Prayer changed him. Talking to God changed him. For me, I want to know how to do that. I want to know that when life hits us full on, how we can change from abject fear and terror to resolution to walk with God wherever he takes us. Because in my role and profession, I deal with that quite a bit with people like you. 
people who are going through the worst things in life and, and prayerfully they, they call and say, I need help. And, and I don't want to come just with a good word. I want to come with some hope that comes directly from God. So how did he do it? How am I going to handle life when it hits me that way? When I'm driven to my knees in object terror and fear. Let's see if there's some things we can pull out of this. Number one, this is what we learn. For Jesus, he shows us this, don't go alone. Don't go alone. He had friends with him. Now, admittedly, they weren't the best of friends at that moment in their lives. They weren't doing everything that they should have been doing. Apparently, the bread and the wine had taken hold of their bodies, and they were a little sleepy, I don't know. But he still had community. He had the 12, and then he had the 3. Now, I totally understand this about you and me, because I'm like you, and you're like me in this. We are the independent Nebraskans. We are the people who are forerunners and ancestors. They, they got on a raft and crossed the Mississippi and then the Missouri. They got a, an ox somewhere. They found a cart. They put all their belongings on the cart. They pushed it out here somewhere, and they drove a stake in the ground and said, this is mine. That's our spirit, right? Or maybe you're a person who came from, you know, your, your lineages, your people came from south of the border, and you cross the, you know, you being facetiously, your people crossed the border, came in, and you said, I'm here, no one's going to knock me off, right? That's our independent. And so here's what we, what we live in. We live in this little phrase, the North American, USA, Central Nebraska motto, I got this. I got this. It should be on our money. We should take off in God we trust and put, I got this. Because that's how we live. And so when, you know, when we run into chaos, our first instinct is to say, I can handle this. But see, here's the deal. And Jesus shows us this, and, and he's the son of God, please. If you think you know more than he, you're still, you're, you're a work in progress. He knew he needed people. He knew he needed community. And so he stepped into it. And that's what we ask you to do around here. Pretty much every week when we gather together, one way or another, we're saying, find community. Start by taking the rooted experience. Take it on. If you've already done that, get into a small group. Help, let us help you with that. If you're a student here, you know, go to Element. Get involved in a life house so you can have community. If you're here, if you're a young adult and you need community, which you do, you come to Revive on Tuesday night. I don't know what it is, but step in. You can't do it alone, but I see it, and I deal with it quite a bit with people who are at their wit's end. They're like, I've been coming to church, and honestly, I say, really? Because I don't know who you are. Well, I come every week. I come sit down in that pew over that chair up in the balcony, whatever, but I said, well, or do you have a small group? Oh, no, I haven't done small group. And I'm like, it's the most powerful personal place that you can find help is with a group of a few people. Who are your 12? Who are your three? That's why we're going to keep pounding on that drum, okay? So the first thing is, and again, remember, Jesus' friends at this moment weren't so great, but they were there for him overall. Here's the second thing. Pray, don't fixate. 
pray, don't fixate, because prayer is an action. It is not an attitude. Prayer is not just thinking, meditating, verbalizing concern. Yes, it involves those things at points. Prayer is an action to move you toward God. It's not just a thought. Have you ever had somebody say this to you? Like, like you're going through something that's no fun, and one of your relationships say, oh, well, we're thinking of you. Or maybe you've said that. Oh, I'm thinking of you. That's a nice sentiment, but let me ask, what good does it do? As if thinking about you somehow is going to change anything. It's not. It might be somewhat supportive. I will spend some thoughts focusing on you. Jesus wasn't asking Peter, James, and John, think about me. He was saying, come with me. Enter into this with me. Here's something to consider. If you offer to pray for someone, that means you're willing to walk with them. And if you're asking for prayer, you're really asking them to go with it as much as they can with you. Prayer is more than words. Words fixate. Prayer activates. In a real practical way, let me mention something to our small groups. Definitely pray together. But be careful not to spend 10 minutes collecting prayer requests and three minutes regurgitating those requests and then saying amen and walking off like nothing ever mattered. And this is really a pattern that I see in small groups. I've led many small groups and led this pattern. So I'm actually confessing sin to you. Well, I'm confessing failure. I don't, maybe not, whatever. Here's the thing. When we just pray about Aunt Elsie's goiter and Uncle Frank third removed had, you know, had a bro- has a broken leg and look, good and so what, you know? What, try this in your small group. Try this. Instead of just having that 15-minute experience on the front end where you name everything, just start going around the circle. First person prays a sentence prayer. It can be a request. It can be a praise. It can be both a praise and request. I don't know. Dear Lord, this is what's on my heart. Here it is. I'm struggling with something. Name it if you can. If you trust your group, you should be able to. And then sentence or two, go to the next person. Then the next person. And do that until you're kind of prayed out. You don't have to invent stuff. Just talk to God. And then here's the most important thing. Wrap back around when you're done with that experience and ask the group, is there something here we need to react to? We need to step into. We need to bring ministry to and make a plan. Find a touch point. Because when there's troubled times, we don't want to go alone. And we need people to step in for us. And there'll probably be some people in your group that need you to step in. Here's a third thing, be direct. When you're talking to God, be clear. You don't have to butter up God. He knows, okay? The most powerful prayers that have ever been heard or said were as direct as Jesus' prayer was here. God, let this cup pass from me. The most powerful prayers I've ever heard have been that direct. I'll never forget when I walked up and down the lane with a farmer, a 30-year-old man, who had just learned 
that his wife was killed in a car wreck. And for I don't know how long, it seemed like 20 hours, it wasn't, but it seemed like it. All I heard him say for all that time is, oh God, oh God, oh God. He must have said it 500, 1,000 times. The most honest prayer I ever heard. And God heard him. God heard him. Jesus' prayer was very clear, very direct. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. And then that brings a fourth thing. Submission. In prayer, bring submission. Because prayer has to begin and end with me saying, God. Not God, God. And look, if you're living in high-handed rebellion and you get in trouble and you start praying like God should be your vending machine, good luck with that. Because God is not your loan officer. God is not your insurance agent. God is not your spiritual consultant or your winning lottery ticket if things are going down, going south financially. Prayer is not a recipe. God is a person. God is relationship. He wants relationship with you, and that's where prayer begins. Look, I have five adorable grandboys, all under the age of, of eight. They are tons of fun. They, they bring so much joy into my life. I can't even begin to tell you how much. But there are moments when they are anything but fun and joy-bearing. There are times when they are like five rabid raccoons stuck in a, in a dumpster somewhere, and I'm in there with them. Okay, so that's not cute. Now, when they're not doing cute, I'm not going with them, okay? Like, I'm, I'm calling them out. Does that change the fact that I love them with all my heart? No. But it does change how I deal with them in that moment, because raccoon ain't going to work for the rest of their lives, Okay? When a child is misbehaving, they have in their minds every reason for that, for that behavior. And if you try to talk them out of it in the morning, you know what they're like. No, but he took my toy, and that's that. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to work. Little children are oftentimes at peace with things that are ultimately destructive to them. We have to understand that. God understands that about you, too. And when you're misbehaving and when you're dealing with your living in high-handed sin and you're unwilling to work with your father on that, good luck. The proverb says, if we ignore the word of the Lord, he will turn a deaf ear to our prayers. So don't think that you have anything, any kind of hearing with God when you're ignoring his clear direction for your life. But I want to say this, submission keeps the relationship alive because God's not going anywhere, anywhere. but how about you? Where have you gone from God? I mean, like, you're here like, okay, God, now I need you. And he might be saying, well, where have you been? I've been, I've been, I've been looking for you for a long time and you've been hiding from me. Does that make sense? Now, on the other hand, some of you have a guilt gene. So what you, you, you think that, that you are not perfect, and since you're not perfect, how could God ever love you? And this whole experience that Jesus is showing us is, we're not perfect, God will love you through that. 
Yet we can't accept our own imperfections, so we transfer that inferiority into how we think God sees us. Now, that's not submission either. Actually, that's pride, even though it doesn't seem that way. Because when it comes to sin, there's a struggle with sin. All of us face it. There's defending sin, which is the next level of struggling. And there's living in sin. When I'm struggling with sin, I'm easy to work with. When I'm defending sin, he's going to challenge me until I change. When I'm living in sin, when I'm camping in sin, he's not hanging out roasting marshmallows with me because that's obstinate and he can't do anything with it. Back to the olive press. Jesus took three stabs at this request and that brings up a question. How long should I pray for something? Like how long should it be on my list? I would say don't stop until one of three things happens. First of all, the prayer is answered. Like he gives an answer. He has a clear yes. Here it is. That's great. You say thanks and move on. Or secondly, there's a clear no. You're praying. You want want something to happen. Maybe you're a single person and you've been looking for someone who could who would love you like a man or a woman should love you if, if, they're, if they're loved by Jesus, and it's just not happening for you, and so that's a no. You're praying for healing, and she dies. I would say that's a no. That's a hard no. You're praying for a promotion, and the promotion passes you by. Someone else gets the job. No. A clear no. Jesus came back three times. The first two times, he got no. Here's what happened on the third time. He had a change of heart. That's another time when you would stop praying, when your heart changes. God confirms in him his will. He moves forward with God. His heart changed. He changed. He was pliable. He was submissive. I mean, have you ever wanted something really desperately in your life, and you didn't get it, and you looked back on it, and you said, oh, thank you, Jesus? Because you see what would have happened had you gotten it. You ever had that happen? Or am I just the only one? Where, where like, you know, I, I'm seeking the Lord. I, I, I'm, I'm not just confined to yes or no. And he's capable of doing something in it, all of that, that, that shows he's real. You know? Like, let's try it this way. You and your spouse, you got into something where you're just ticked off. And you're not forgiving anyone. And I know that probably isn't you, but it might be the couple down the row, so I have a little tolerance here. So, or, or let's just say it this way. Let's suppose that something, you know, it's, it's just something you love when the preacher brings it up. You just can't wait to hear it again, your money. And you're like, I knew it. I come to church, and you talk about money. I haven't talked to mo- about money for two months the last time you were here, so come on, give me a little break here. But anyway, you don't love that, so, you know, here's the thing. We, you know, the preacher says, you know, you got to put God first. Put your desires in the, in, the, in the background so that God can be in the foreground. You don't want to give him what's left over, all the stuff that preachers say. And, then, and, so, you're, and so you hear it again, and, and you're like, no, nah, I, I think I'll, I, I, wanna, I just want to take care of me, and I'll just give God what's left over. I'll just, I'll just do that and open, ask God to open up the blessings from his hand. I mean, just think about it. I would just challenge you to pray this way for the next two weeks, Okay. Just pray this every day for the next two weeks. 
God, I don't want to forgive my spouse. I don't want to start figuring out what the tithe is and doing it. But God, just bless me. God, I want you to conform to me. Amen. Now, does that sound ludicrous? It should. But try it for a couple weeks, and I bet that something will happen in you. And you'll have an inside-out experience. And God will start showing you some things about you that he can work with. See, because here's the thing about me. I don't know about you. There's some things that I pretty deeply don't want to do for God. Like I'm pretty deeply sure I don't want to go there for him. Okay, so I might say I'm seeking his will. The bottom line is I normally have to fight my own selfishness to find it. My life needs to continually realign with him. It's trusting God no matter what the call is. God can change you if you will keep coming to him and keep offering yourself to him and continually submit to him. Philippians 4, 6 puts it this way. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Whether I don't want to do it, I don't think I can do it, or God help me, I refuse to do it, it all comes back to submission. As Larry Osborne says, it's not about willpower, it's about spiritual power. The power to obey comes after the prayer, not before the prayer. Not from willpower, but from spiritual power. Jesus, the Son of God, he knew he had an agenda. He told everyone about the agenda. He, he led them to the point where the agenda had to be fulfilled, but he did not have the willpower to go forward until he received the spiritual power by his prayer. We're going to pause in our service for communion. It's really a continuation, I should say. Pausing isn't the right term. Because this is a time in our service weekly where we come back to the very basic principles about God and man, Jesus and people, grace, mercy, forgiveness. We talked about it a little earlier in the sermon, how God poured his wrath out to punish sin on none other than himself, the Son of God. We could spend days trying to explain that, probably wouldn't get anywhere. It's a God who loves us that much. So when we take this bread and this cup, a reminder that God loves you so much, just remember that he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Come back to him. Trust him. You may not want to. You may not think you can. You might be so obstinate right now, you're angry. I don't know. But he's reaching out to you and he's saying, here I am. So let him do that. Lord, as we continue in this service and we continue in this moment of communion, may we just rejoice that you love us so. And may we remember there's a price to that and that you would pay it. Well, it's the pearl of great price. We're grateful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It would not be unusual for virtually every person in a room like this 
to be able to draw to mind something you don't want to do, but you know you should do, or you know you should stop doing, but you don't want to stop, or to know there's something in your life that you really would like to change, but you just don't believe you could because it's too much, it's too hard, it's too, it's too daunting for you. Or there are probably people here who you're in really one of the worst moments of your life and you just can't see a way out. The horrific thing that you're convinced you'll never make it through. I would encourage you to come back to him and just say, God, clearly here it is. And I want to walk with you through this. And if you've got a posse you can pull in, pull them in. And if you don't, start thinking about how you can gain that in your life, a community of people who can walk through life with you so that when this life hits you in the worst ways, you got people there for you. We want to be that for you. Let us be. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.